Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I may have failed to uh, address this morning, and I reiterate the well wishes on this Mother's Day. The Lord bless you all. We appreciate all the uh, godly mothers that have uh, imparted the Word of God, helped their children. We see them all lining up here, sharing the Word of God, uh, reciting it from memory. So I want to encourage you all. Um, the Lord is blessing your efforts, and uh, you have a really happy and a blessed day. Uh, thank you again for inviting us to open up God's Word together with you all. It's always great to have a reason to come down uh, back to our hometown area and to visit everybody and see how everybody's doing and to see how the Lord is blessing you all. And we bless the name of our Lord as we see you all exercise, working, and coming behind in no gift. Uh, so we're just so thankful we give the Lord Jesus the glory. And um, <clears throat> so I understand that we, uh, we've been working through Luke, and um, our portion this morning is, in, is found in chapter 4. So if you would, please turn with me. I'm going to read the portion together. Starting in verse 13. And that's my own. I think I was assigned 14, but I'll just read 13 just to link it to what perhaps we covered last week. It says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And perhaps the reference would be better represented by having dot, dot, dot before the end of the quotation. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. 
So what we'd like to explore in the passage, I'd like to just give us three headings um, just to kind of guide our thinking through this, this particular reference in the life of the Lord Jesus. Um, I'd like to start off uh, by discussing briefly and, and just by way of introduction and, by, and connecting it to the uh, prior passages that you've studied together here, the popular prophet. Then we'll move on and look at the prophetic program. Bear with me here. I'm not great at this alliteration bit. Uh, and then last of all, the problematic people. So we want to look at the popular prophet, the prophetic program, and the problematic people. And so uh, we come into a portion of scripture where the Lord Jesus is returning to his hometown. He's been gone for over a year. And he and news of the signs and the wonders and his teachings have come back to his hometown. And, and with a lot of excitement, they invite him back to his hometown synagogue. So he's going to go back to his customs, Luke tells us, uh, about reading in the synagogue. And a little bit about what has gone on before. Something has changed. We've studied, no doubt, that the Lord Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the uh, Jordan and that there was a sign given to authenticate who he is, that he is the son of God because John the the Baptist was waiting for that sign upon whom the Holy Spirit would descend. This would be the Messiah and it was confirmed to him there. And then thereafter, he was led of the Holy Spirit to encounter the prince of this world, to encounter Satan. And he overcame Satan, and it says that Satan left from him until another opportune time. And so the Lord Jesus begins his ministry and has been away from his hometown for a year. The, the, uh, the uh, people who keep record of, of the times of Christ will tell us that much of what happened in John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 precedes his return back to Nazareth. So he's been doing signs and wonders in other places. And now is back in his hometown. And they're very excited. As a result, he's been very or become very, very popular. And um, the Lord Jesus has a very important work to do. And it's being authenticated by his signs and his teaching. So at this moment, he's a very popular prophet. But I want to move on to what are the, the bigger uh, uh, matters in this portion that is the prophetic program because the Lord Jesus returns to the hometown synagogue and as it was his custom he had been there before they had known them we hear them repeat it isn't this Joseph's son and we were considering this morning even in Capernaum a neighboring town they would see the things that the Lord Jesus did and he heard his teaching and they asked don't we know his family don't we know who he is Isn't he Joseph's son? So he's on familiar territory and he goes into the synagogue and is, as is the custom. Now the synagogue is, is what was fashioned by the Jewish people after the exile because there was no longer that center in Jerusalem, the temple where they went to worship. And so they made these local meetings where they would read the scriptures and others would teach. And here the Lord Jesus is asked to come forward and to take a book and he grabs purposely a portion out of Isaiah 61 and he begins to proclaim the words of the prophet the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I'm not certain, I haven't explored this myself, and perhaps you can uh, give me a little help on this afterwards, why the reference here in the Greek New Testament ends, they felt that it was appropriate to put a period because we understand that the reference out of Isaiah 61 is incomplete. It is that he ended in the middle of a statement. And then he, after drawing all their attention, as he purposely ends in the middle of a statement, you know, their expectation is that he would continue until the period, right? That's what we teach our children. You know, that's what that's for, right? You read it and then you get to the period and you pause. But he stops short of reading the whole statement. And as he gets all of their attention... He makes this declaration, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now when we look back at this reference in Isaiah 61, it is toward the end of the prophet. The prophet has 66 chapters, the way we've broken it down, but it's toward the end of the prophecy. And in its context, the surrounding context in that passage, chapter 60, chapter 62, has to do with the restoration of the faith filled remnant of Israel that God is going to again bless Zion and he is going to raise Israel up to a place of prominence in the world and the nations will come to it and find their sustenance there in Jerusalem and they will uh, be ruled by the one that sits upon that throne in Israel and there's this idea of coming back and of restoration, and of healing, and of calling out from among the nations. But in the middle of that, of those portions, we have this particular prophecy. Sits, rests in the middle there, and and stands very, uh, uh, it, it is very unique in the midst of that portion. Where you have one who is the servant of the Lord, and he is speaking, and of course, Certainly, Isaiah, to some degree, was uh, uh, in a sense of fulfillment of that. He was speaking about his ministry also. But at a greater level, it was looking forward to one in before the restoration of Israel who would fulfill this prophecy. One who stands up and speaks. And he declares that he has been anointed to, do, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it stands very uh, uh, in contrast to a lot of what's in that section. And so the Lord Jesus declares that there at this time, prophecy that had been written over 700 years before was being fulfilled in their eyes. Now for those of us, uh, obviously we have the benefit of history and retrospect and we can see the things that Christ did and the multi-millions if not billions of people who have come to faith in Christ because of all of the evidence that has been supported to us throughout history and the testimony of humans that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for them there, that was a very bold statement. You know, as they furrowed their brows and looked at him. Isn't this Joseph's son? But he proclaimed to be the fulfillment of this. And what was his mission going to be? 
His mission was going to be, now there's several things here, but I just like to explore one or two of the concepts here. He says that among other things, he came to preach the good news to the poor. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ reached out to those that were impoverished, those that were in need, those that uh, the, the people in their communities and their neighbors had failed to help. And they were standing in need of sustenance. Certainly, many of those types of people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting that even in this portion here, the Lord Jesus refers to a, to a rich man, Naaman, a Syrian commander, who came to faith in God. And later on in the book of Luke, we'll meet other people who were not poor in the sense of wealth. They were very rich people, but they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we have to uh, recognize the fact that this speaks of more than just financial poverty. That it has to do with a, a state of human being. Poor in spirit, the Lord Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. People who are in need, people who are broken, people who are uh, looking for something that wealth or anything in this world has failed to satisfy. He has come to preach the gospel to the poor. But not only that, he proclaims uh, liberty, and it's used twice here in this reference, to proclaim liberty to the captives, liberty to those who are oppressed. And that word liberty is another word that is translated in other portions of scripture to be set free, to be let loose. Of course, in the context that we find it, the immediate application may, may appear to be to be let go from being war criminals, war captives, prisoners of war. But that's not the way that we find the people of Israel. That's not where we see the people who are the audience of his message. So it tells us that there's more to this prophecy than, than appears on the surface. And it has to do with greater issues. Later on in other portions of scripture, they'll use the same word to speak of being set free from the oppression of Satan. Paul will uh, use the same word in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, speaking about his mission, going to the Gentile world to set free the people from spiritual oppression. And John uses that same word speaking about being released from sin in an earlier reference here in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38, John the Baptist. And so this message transcends Israel's captivity or problems with the nations. This is a message for all mankind. And it falls in line with what God has promised. When we look at what he had promised when he called Abraham from out of the, out of the peoples of the world. Part of his calling had to do with the fact that God intended through him, through his seed, to bless all the peoples of the, of the earth, all the peoples of the world. And this messenger, no doubt, was part of God's program. God today has made a way for sinners to be set free, for the poor to hear the good news, and to be able to be saved and be reconciled to God their creator through the work of this spirit-anointed Messiah. And that's the message that we preach, isn't it? That the Lord Jesus Christ has undertaken that work. He has done the work that saves. He came to do this very thing and to institute the acceptable year of the Lord, the favorable year. And it's an amazing thing because when we look at that reference, the Lord Jesus 
finishes his statement by, contra- by ending with this contrasting statement to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and something that is left on the program to do is to declare the day of vengeance of our God. But we're thankful for the, the year, the favorable year of the Lord that we are enjoying right now. God in his mercy has sent this Messiah to the cross of Calvary according to the predetermined counsel of God, Acts chapter 2, by God's design, sent him there so that on Calvary's hill he can declare, it is finished. The work that saves is done. The message has power because the Lord Jesus has undertaken to secure the forgiveness of sins. Dead three days in the tomb, but then by his own power, resurrected to life and gone on to glory. That is an incredible blessing. And for those of us that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it should offer us consolation when we see, as, as, as it's confirmed by Peter in Second Peter chapter 1, that the things that we believe in weren't made up, weren't cunningly devised fables. These are things that we preach that were built on prophecy, on years of human history and of God working among mankind to establish a platform by which he would bless all the families of the world. So we take consolation. We don't follow a man who cooked some story up in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. We follow someone who has, was foretold in prophecy, thousands of years of prophecy fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's power in that message And we thank the Lord that we have the privilege, those of us that know him as Lord and Savior, to take that message out into this lost world. It is all that God has been working towards to redeem humanity. It's all that matters. It's all that's going to last. When the day of vengeance of our God comes upon this earth, it will be the only thing that means anything. Incredible message. And here he was, faithful in his hometown, to preach that message and to tell them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. Wow. What must it have been like? But now we move on to the problematic people. Because unfortunately, it didn't quite go the way we we would think it would. Didn't quite go the way we thought it would go. In fact, you know, we might be here rejoicing at this good news. But the people in that synagogue in Nazareth were enraged. They were very angry at what the Lord Jesus said. So angry. And they pushed him out of the town and threatened to push him over a cliff. And if it wasn't for his for execution of power to be able to walk through their midst and get out of there, they might have had their way. What, what was it that made them so angry? Why is it that they didn't believe his message? You know, we have to, we have to ask that question, right? They, they knew him. They knew him better than we do. He grew up uh, right among them. They saw him as a child. They, they knew his father. They knew his craft. Isn't this a carpenter's son? They knew him, but they didn't accept him. They were enraged by him. They wanted to kill him. What went wrong? We have to ask that question. We have to find an answer to it, don't we? Because otherwise, maybe, maybe we're not. We, maybe we haven't done our due diligence. We haven't really explored it the way we should. But you know, the Lord Jesus, who is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart according to Hebrews chapter 4 he goes about his work you know he had drummed up a lot of popularity and they were excited to see his signs and his wonders but the Lord Jesus doesn't leave them there 
doesn't ignore what's starting to happen, but immediately addresses the problem. He tells them, you're going to, you're going to tell me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you do in other places, do here also. What, you, what you've done in Capernaum, do here also. And the thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ had offered them a great deal of evidence already. The evidence preceded him because they had heard about his signs and his wonders and his teaching. But the problem was for them is that they weren't satisfied with that evidence. And ultimately, they were going to say that the blame was on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us more evidence. They were going to want to have. Isn't that true of the human heart? When it has a problem with truth, well, then we want to shift the blame somewhere else. When we're confronted with the truth, then we want to shift the blame to some other factor. And there isn't enough evidence for me. They had a bias that they were dealing with. They knew who he was. They had known him from a child. They had known his family. And now he was here in front of them declaring that he was the promised Messiah. Show us the evidence, they would say. And the Lord Jesus quickly explains to them that there's a huge problem with that because being a prophet, being anointed by the Holy Spirit of God, according to Acts chapter 10, um, Peter says that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit of God to do this work and being called according to the prophecies made by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, that God would raise up a prophet just like Moses. And the warning was that they'd be careful to listen to him and to hear him. And he tells them, you know, a prophet, it kind of comes with the territory. It's kind of part of the job description. You You never get honor from your own countrymen. There's never been a prophet that the people of God loved. In fact, they hated them. They chased them. They threatened them. And they killed them. The Lord Jesus indicted some of his contemporaries and said, You know, you say that you care for the prophets, but your fathers murdered them and you, and you uh, reverence their, their uh, you know, sepulchers. You join in with their hatred. And so he was trying to be condescending, be gracious. Deal with them graciously and tell them, I know what's happening in your mind and heart. I know the things that you're dealing with in your heart. What's getting in the way of you believing and it's not the evidence. It's your prejudicial nature. It's the fact that you don't like to hear the truth. And he finishes by warning them as he references the history of great prophets of old, people that tread their their land some 700 years before, great prophets in the Bible, Elijah and Elisha. Maybe they would have taken some pride in the fact that he had, these fellows had roamed this part of the country of Israel, now Samaria. And he says, he warns them in the, prof, in the process of referencing these old prophets, he challenges their thinking. He warned them that in Israel back then when Elijah roamed uh, the north part of Israel, which again now uh, in that time was known as Samaria, that he went, although there was many widows in Israel and and they all were enduring a horrible uh, famine and a drought, the Lord Jesus says, although there was many in Israel, he only went to one. He went to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon 
that lay outside of the borders of Israel were not the people of God in that sense, not the people of Israel. And, uh, you know, he, he says, be careful, learn the lesson, even in his quick reference. Learn the lesson that we find here. That this woman who was not of Israel, who had no claim to the promises of God, had the prophet come to her home. And in a state of starvation and of need, the prophet said, God will take care of you. God will satisfy you. But first, take the little that you have left and make cakes for me and for you. She was faced with a huge dilemma because she didn't have very much at all. In fact, there was probably enough for one more meal and then the expectation was that she would shortly die, her and her son. There was no food. It was a famine. And this woman, unlike the people of Nazareth, she understood something. The Lord Jesus was trying to get them to understand this. That she understood the desperate nature of her position. The prophet said, hey, let, make some bread for me. And she might have made the mistake of, of feeding a charlatan. And then, you know, what would have cost her? She would have, you know, she would have died a few hours earlier. But she understood her desperate need. That there was no hope. There was no resource. There was nowhere to turn to. And so she trusted the words of the prophet in hope and expectation that his God would honor her obedience. And she made that decision. And as the story goes, then thereafter, she was sustained with, with plenty by a miraculous work of God. But it was her attitude that brought her in to salvation. The people of Nazareth were beginning to be enraged. Because when the Lord Jesus said that he was fulfilling Isaiah 61, well, that's all fine and good, but I don't fit in any of those categories. You know, we're good, hardworking people, tax-paying people. We're religious. We're here at the synagogue, aren't we? And it was that self-righteousness, that, that bent towards religion that was keeping them from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he ex referenced the life of this woman, what, ha what she had endured, how she had found salvation, they were angered at him. How dare you say that we in some way be like this poor widow from a Gentile nation? You got us all mixed up. And the natural reaction to the truth, that they were better than poor, they were better than the brokenhearted, they were more righteous than the captive, in their minds anyway, elicited in them anger against the Messiah. They were working up to a froth of anger. But you know, there's something telling about the second portion that the Lord Jesus refers to when he's challenging their thinking and their hearts. He said, there were many lepers in the days of Elisha. You know, that was Elijah's protege and who had been given a double portion of the spirit and roam those lands too, helping the wayward people of Israel. Well, there was many lepers all over in Israel. But God did not heal but one. And he was a Syrian. He was a commander of the armies of the enemies of Israel. But there's a lesson to be learned. Because just like them in Nazareth, this Syrian commander also got angry. They took captive this 
Israelite girl and she became their slave. And he was, can you imagine? A, a prominent army leader hiding his leprosy that was destroying his body, disfiguring him and bringing him to shame among his people. And this Israelite girl tells him in 2 Kings chapter 5, she says, Oh, my master can heal you. You should go to, to the land of Israel. My master can help you. And he goes with an entourage to find this prophet Elijah. Elisha, excuse me. And Elisha sends a message through his servant. He says, I see he's come. He's seeking healing. Now go dip three times in the river and you'll be cleansed. And he immediately thought to himself, this is ridiculous. There's better rivers back in Syria. And it says he was angered because his pride was, was attacked. And you know, by the grace of God, that servant of Naaman said something so powerful to him. He says, Master, be careful. Because if he had asked you to do something great, you would have gone to the ends of the earth. That's my paraphrase. But this is so simple. Obey. You have nothing to lose. And he stepped out in faith, in humiliation and faith. And he was rescued and he was saved. Oh, you know, that was the problem with the people of Nazareth. That is why they rejected their hometown boy. Because in their heart was a real matter of pride that was getting in the way of their salvation. I was getting in the way of them embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we issue you that challenge. Oh, please be careful, friend. Be careful what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful what you do with the one that prophecy has confirmed as the Son of God. That history has shown this scriptures that we use as the most scrutinized book of, of all time. Oh, skeptics and researchers have gotten their hands on it and tried to take it apart and they failed because the history that God has put together to confirm who His Messiah is and that the work saves is true. Be careful what you do today with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know in your heart there is that arrogance that refuses to bow and to own your place before the Lord as someone who is a captive of Satan, one who is blind to the truth and to the light, one that's poor and doesn't have any claim on God. Oh, that message goes out to you today. Be careful. It is so simple. Give heed to the words of Naaman's servant. It's so simple. Trust him and be saved. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. And you know, the, the truth is that the Lord Jesus Christ stopped, as we referenced, uh, this citation from Isaiah 61, or this recitation from Isaiah 61. He stopped short of the end of the verse. And let me also warn you today, the remainder of that verse said that he is also responsible in the program of God to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. And just like the Lord Jesus took this book here in Nazareth and opened it up and says, God has, has called me to present this acceptable year. A time will come when from the throne of God, they will appeal. Who is worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof and to bring forth judgment upon the earth? And they will find the lion of the tribe of Judah as a lamb as it had been slain, Revelation chapter 5. And he will take the book. And there will be little hope then. 
when judgment comes. Oh, be careful today what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would trust him, receive him as your Lord, and enjoy all the blessings that come from the acceptable year of the Lord. Let us close in a word of prayer. Heavenly God and Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for giving us uh, these different portions where we can truly understand what the Lord Jesus was trying to communicate. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask uh, if, there any, if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to repent of sin, pride, self-righteousness, Father, they would do so this very moment that your spirit will be laboring in their heart that they would repent and bow before you and receive the Savior that has come to do all the work. He has done it all. It is finished. And after he was raised from the dead, he was invited, come sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The work is done. And they might embrace this Lord uh, and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that the people of God would be encouraged. As we read another portion of scripture where we see that we do not believe cunningly devised fables. But we men of old were moved by the spirit of God to put these prophecies together. So that we might confirm the one whom God has raised up to be the blessing to all the families of the earth. We're so thankful today to explore another portion. We give him all the glory the Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing as we part now Father. To him be all the glory in whose name we pray. Amen.